we are empowering you. We are empowering you right now. Empowerment is going on. Anybody love that? How many believe that we need to be empowered? And I want, I want you to rise up. I want you to begin to feel and flex uh, who you are in the kingdom of God. I think that uh, during uh, the last few years, I've lost so many great matriarchs and patriarchs. And then uh, uh, last, uh, well, it'll be a year in August, on August 1st of last year, Diana's father passed. What a patriarch. What a great man of God he is in our life. And uh, here's, here's the thing is God's raising up people in this church. Do you believe this? And some of you begin to look at yourself and you say, well, no, I'm just, I'm just young. I'm just, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not that. And, and I want you to begin to feel the Holy Spirit in your life in such a way that you will walk in the authority and the power of the word of God. Anybody receive that? I want you to begin to expect that you'll be able to speak to family. You'll be able to speak to people. And in the past, you've been acting as if you were selling them something. And I, I want that to be over. I want you to begin speaking like, like a great patriarch. Uh, we're going to the promised land. Anybody receive that? I want you to begin doing that and anticipate that God is going to use you with authority and with power. You might say, well, you know, I'm, I'm single. I, I can't. No, wait, wait. I want you to listen, listen. This is what God says to the prophet. Stop saying you're young. Stop saying what you are in the flesh. I want you to begin to see who you are in God's eyes. Amen. Amen. I'm so full today. Praise God. Empowerment. We're going to reach families. I'm excited about what God's doing. I'm excited about His, His work in reaching us. Um, I, we are in a series called All In. Uh, and today we're going to walk into a place of urgency with this. When uh, we say all in, we are, we are saying that we are going to connect ourselves with the promise of God. Right? We're going to connect ourselves. We're going to stop ignoring promises. If you had a $6 million lottery ticket that won, would you hesitate to go and have it? redeemed. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying here is we have something greater than this in the word of God. Something that's eternal, something that will not pass away. And God is asking us cash that in, baby. Come on. You need you need to use this. Uh, you need to use this. So today uh two two weeks before Resurrection Sunday. I want to empower you to reach this generation. And say this with me. We must reach this generation. Say it. We must reach this generation. Say it aloud. We must reach this generation. And we're, we're, I'm just hanging on that scripture of Acts 2.39. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I want you to know that this is the generation and we must reach them. We must. Amen? Amen. So um, I have, I'm, I'm staying very busy right now. I'm not complaining. Worked heavily on discipleship this week and future planning. 
but here's what, let me just, what's in my heart is that this is more important than it's ever been before. Anybody ever get to that particular place? You know, you got family coming in to town and you can wait, but sooner or later you're going to have to clean that bedroom. Come on. Sooner or later, you're going to have to take care of some business. You can't ignore it forever. Um, I don't know if this has ever went on in your home. Is there anyone in your house that snores? Okay, all right, all right. So, go ahead. So, uh, I, don't, I don't know even how to speak honestly with you about this. I'm going to be cautious, but have you ever looked at someone that was sleeping with you before and said, when you woke up the next morning, well, you slept well last night. And it was code for, I didn't sleep hardly at all last night. Come on, preach. That may have happened in my house before. That may have happened. And uh, I'm, I'm treading carefully in this sermon illustration right now, if you can tell. Uh, I, I sometimes have a light. Home in the middle of the night. That, uh, but then there's others in my house that I'm just going to let me just move on. Let me just move on. I love you, babe. We were uh, when 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 Diane and I were married. We uh, one of the things that I learned about in her house was that her mom and dad did not sleep together in the same room. And that concerned me a great deal until I heard her father snore. I'm telling you, it could shake the foundations. Now, uh, we woke one morning and uh, I asked my wife, said, well, I didn't ask her, I suggested that she had slept very well the night before and the conversation kind of went in the direction of well remember how mom and dad had to sleep and I said ain't no way <laughs> and we uh, began to you know just work on some things Now we have some we have some belief systems okay one is if one of us is snoring the other has the right to Lay hands on them. And move them. And, or to wake them. Uh, and the other thing that we can do uh, is look at the environment. Because the environment itself, especially during this time of the year. You know what I'm talking about? When you don't know what the weather is going to be. And if the thermostat is set on a particular temperature, it will dry out the room. And so your, your sinuses get all dry, and you're laying there, and you're just trying to breathe, and your nose isn't working, so you start trying to breathe, right? Uh, 
let me, let me say this. I, I want to I be careful with this. Here's what you don't do. You don't ignore it and expect it to go away. There's all kinds of things you can do about that. But here's, here's let, let, let me. There are so many snores that are going on in our homes that drive wedges in our lives. And rather than managing them, we pretend as if they are not there and they just irritate us. Come on, am I preaching the truth? And what you don't manage in your family will manage you. What you don't deal with. And you might say, well, that's just the way it's always been. I'm not saying not to be patient. I'm not saying not to be tolerant. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you cannot put your house on autopilot and expect that everything's going to be good. Because some of those things that you're not dealing with, some of those things you're not talking about, some of those things that you just ignore, they will come back. And, and sooner or later, you'll just, you'll just be so busy ignoring everything, pretending like it's not there. And you'll start saying things on the inside, well, I guess this is just what I'm going to have to put up with for the rest of my life. Again, what you don't manage in your home will manage you. Because when you stop dealing with stuff, you end up with a vacuum of leadership in your house. There, there, got any brothers in the house right now? You know, you don't want a vacuum of leadership in your house. Because somebody will come in and manage it. You say, well, we don't talk well. You, you're going to have to learn to talk because the enemy will be glad to come in and teach you how to talk. Now, I'm not just talking to married couples. I'm talking about some of my fantastic singles as well. What you don't manage, come on single mamas and single daddies. What you don't manage will come back and manage you. You know, I'm just, you know, my kids are just that way. And it will only increase. You can't just leave your house on automatic and expect to arrive safely at your happily ever after destination. You can't do that. And I've uh, been thinking about starting to take attendance every Sunday morning. Wouldn't that be good? I would love to do that. I don't do it. Anybody ever went to school before and they took attendance? And they'd read your name, right? And they'd call your name. What would you say? Here. See, I knew. There's two different things you say. I heard some of you say here and some of you say present. That's what I said. Okay. So I call your name and you say? Yeah. <laughs> I always loved it because there was always one or two people that would say, present. One or two. Okay. And uh, say present. Say sh present. And, and here's, I think that's kind of fun because just because you're here doesn't necessarily mean you're present. Just because you're in the house doesn't mean you are present. Right? I mean, that's true at church because I'm talking to you right now. And some of you are here, but some of you are present. You're ready to hear from the Lord, ready to hear from the Holy Spirit, right? Some of us are here. But sometimes when we go home, how many know it's, it's a possibility just to be in the room? Just to eat the meal at the table, but not be paying attention to everything that's going on. And, and we need to have more of a presence. 
We need to be aware, and not just of one another, we need to be aware of what Holy Spirit is saying and what He is doing as well. Here's some signs that your home needs attention. Family members are no longer present physically and or emotionally. How come you're never at dinner? Or emotionally, they don't feel what's going on. Or sudden and frequent outbursts. You don't have to lift your hand if you've experienced this before. But just that, it's going to get crazy. You know, it always it's, it's just our house. It's just what we do. We get crazy. You, you know what I'm talking about? Or when you think about family. When you think, all oh, the family's all coming. It's like, oh, great. When are they going home? <laughs> Negative feelings just about family being together. Or no one wants to compromise. And conflicts are seldom managed effectively. That means we're not present. That means we may not be paying attention. And of course, you know what the result of such unmanaged failure is, right? I've heard this so much that it seems when I talk about this, it's so easy for me in talking about some of the things that I've spoken about over these last couple of months. It's so easy to talk about it because you relate to it. In our culture, it seems to be the norm. People are actually, in the culture that we live in, Bitter about the topic of family. Bitter about a marriage. Bitter about the idea of marriage. Yeah, it's marriage. Let me tell you about my home. And, and the, the topic almost has become, it just doesn't work. It's just conflicted. But what we know is, what we really know is, is it's not working the way you're doing it right now. That's what we really know. And we also know this. We know this statistically. That in our culture, homes are in critical situations. It's not just one family, it's thousands of them. Come on. Thousands of families that are messed up. And, and the, the majority of teenagers today, the majority of teenagers do not live in what we know as an intact family. Now when I say that, you know I'm talking about the experience of a mother and a father living together. Now... Where are my single mamas and single daddies? Where are you? Somebody praise God for single mamas and single dads. Hallelujah. We love you guys. And we know God will give you strength and God will empower you. But I still want to go back. How many know God's good plan is for a man and a woman to marry and then have children? And raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How many know that's the truth? All right. Don't play them cultural things with me. Pastor, it don't matter if they're a man and... It does. That's the word of God. Unless we're just going to throw that to the side today because I don't have anything else to say. Okay, I'm preaching the word. Okay. But I, I, just, I didn't look in depth at statistics, but in 2014, four years ago, the stats were 55% of all teenagers do not live in a home with a mom and a dad. So let's just agree to this. We have some tragic realities in our culture and in the church. That the majority of issues that are going on in our families have to do with those things which we have chosen to ignore. The things that we're not going to deal with. We place our marriage and family on autopilot. We toss the word of God to the side and expect that somehow it will all just work out. No counsel, no prayer, no submission, no humility, no repentance. And then when it gets bad, we cry out, God, why did you let this happen to me? He's preaching. So. And then we 
throw little words in the mix that make us feel better like, well, everything just happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. How many of us have said that before? Everything happens for a reason. I just believe everything happens for a reason. I just want you to back off of that just a little bit because there are some things that happen for a reason, but you may not like the reason. All right? Because I ignored it is also a reason. Don't feel alone in this, though. I'm not trying to pass out guilt because if we're going to live in guilt, believe me, we all have enough, right? We're going to walk in guilt and shame. But we need to change our homes because as our homes go, so goes the culture. Uh, I've spoken so much and I I want to do it today. I want today, and I'm not going to talk much more about family, but I want today to just give you a sense of urgency. I don't need to tell you to, to pray again. Come on. You need to pray, right? And some of you need to do that differently. I've given you all kinds of models. Uh, I, I don't have to tell you need to forgive each other again. How many know we need to forgive, right? So I'll, I'll find a fancy way to say that another day. I just want you to get busy, and I want to light a fire under us this morning to help us. Doing nothing has produced the generation that we live in. I want to return to a text again, um, to a text right now. Last Sunday's scripture, if you remember, I used scripture last Sunday that appeared twice in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to do that again. This is a scripture that appears twice, a statement that the Lord makes twice in the Gospel of Matthew. Here in Matthew 12, first of all, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, you might want to underline that in your notes. We want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Okay, that's pretty heavy, right? An evil and adulterous generation, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Uh, So if you know the context of this in Matthew 12, he's saying this to the Pharisees. This is very powerful. Uh, In this moment, the Pharisees had just witnessed a miracle. There was a man that could not speak, could not hear, and he was possessed by a demon. And Jesus set him free and healed him. And the Pharisees were angry about it, and they said he did this by the power of Beelzebub. He did this by the power of Satan. So Jesus had just set a man free. Somebody thank God for Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious leadership of the day, said, Jesus, you did this by Satan. And uh, Jesus explained something to them then. He said, well, you know, basically, guys, you couldn't do this because, uh, and and we used this last, last Sunday, Matthew 12, 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And then he looked at them, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes, you bunch of snakes in the grass. How can you who are evil say anything good? Yeah, how can you do that? We, you're not going to be able to say anything this good. So it's not like I'm falling over right now. You called me, you say I'm a, the devil. You know, that's what we would expect of you. And then he goes on and says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if, if, if you're constantly speaking venom, if you can't, listen, 
if you yell and scream at each other more in your house than you speak peace, just so you know, you might want to check the root system. Okay? We just can't get along. You might want to go to the roots and stop transferring it to each other. All right? That's what Jesus is saying. You're just, that's all you do. Here, and here's the cold reality. These guys are producing bad fruit. The kingdom is not growing by those weak believers who are living their lives on religious autopilot. Already we've realized in our teaching that we know that there are families that are in a mess. And we know this. They come to Jesus asking for his blessing on their constant brokenness. Anybody remember this? And so they come to Jesus and they say, look, Moses gave us the right so that we could divorce. And Jesus said, yeah, Moses did that, but he did it because of the hardness of your hearts. All right? Now, lots of people in this room have been through divorce. And, and there's nobody that's in the room that would say, yeah, divorce is great, you know? Uh, but at the same time, we're where we are today. Somebody praise God. We are where we are at this moment in our lives. We need to move on. But here, I want you to know this. If you want future relational wholeness, you're going to have to get that from your heart. Right? So that he can change your relationship. So I'm not going to reteach that right now. All I'm saying is those guys were a disaster. Their homes, their culture, they won't listen to the words of Jesus. Even though he is the answer to the prophetic announcement of Messiah, he showed up and they go nuts. And they, they come around twice in the Gospel of Matthew. This happens here in Matthew 16. And they, and they make this statement. Let's go back to verse 4, Matthew 16 and 1. Uh, go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came. We were in 12. Now we're in 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees came testing him and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Same thing, ha same thing happened back in Matthew chapter 12. He answered and said, when it is evening, you will say it will be fair, fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather, bad weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. In other words, you can look at the sky and tell me what the weather is going to be, but you're asking me for more signs? And then he says this, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Or, a wicked and adulterous generation needs more signs than they already have. And no more signs are going to be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, that's a pretty powerful word in itself because you know what Jonah did, right? He went into the belly of the fish for three days and then he came out. And then Jesus explains. He says, because the Son of Man is going to die, be put in the ground, and after three days he's going to rise up. He also goes on to say this. At least the Ninevites listened to the prophetic word after Jonah came out of the fish. So these are some pretty heavy and dramatic words. Now, the word sign is what I want you to circle here because uh, you, you need to pay attention. The word signs points to something in the future. A sign is a prophetic word. Jesus did a few things. He performed signs, he performed wonders and miracles. Uh, and everybody wonders things that are unexplainable. Uh, he performed miracles. Uh, he raises the dead. He makes the blind to see. And signs, on the other hand, point to the future and they speak to the end. And as we stand here today, five days before Good Friday, I want you to know 
that there is no greater sign pointing to the return of the Lord Jesus than this reality, that Jesus died on the cross, went into the grave, and after three days he rose again. Now, some of you, you say, no, that's just Easter. No, no, no. You need to understand that we are in this room and millions around the world are worshiping today. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came to the earth. He died on the cross and he went into the tomb. And after three days, he rose again and showed himself to others. And he ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he sent his spirit. We are here because of that marvelous sign. I need another sign. No, you don't need another sign. How many know that Jesus, who went away, and the angel said to the disciples as they saw him ascend, what did he say? Why are you standing here looking to the heavens? The same Jesus who, came, who, who you have seen go away shall also come again. So this is an example of a sign. John chapter 2, verse 11 speaks of another sign. In the beginning... Or excuse me, this beginning of signs. Jesus did a sign in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. How many know what that sign it was? He turned what? Water into wine. It was a, it was a sign. Somebody shout, a sign. You think it was a miracle. You think it was a wonder. No, no. It was a sign. Circle, sign. It was a sign. Now, now hear me out. Listen. We've got to do something because Jesus is coming back very soon. No, no. Don't go home and ignore what's going on in your family and your relationships and with your neighbors and your coworkers. Listen, we must do something. Jesus is coming back. No, no, no. I can't, I can't, I want to yell it. I want to blow a trumpet right now. All right, we need to take care of our mess and fix our homes and get over our stuff and walk in forgiveness and get our children, our grandchildren, our moms and dads and our aunts and uncles. We need to get people into the kingdom because Jesus is coming back. Soon. Tell somebody, wake somebody up because they may not be present. Tell them, Jesus is coming back. Now, like, disturb somebody. Disturb somebody. Pinch them if you have to. Jesus is coming back. Come on. This is the big, big message. How many know he's a good, good father? Anybody know he's a good, good father? How many know he did miracles? How many know God wants to bless you? How many know that? Okay, how many also know that he's coming back? How many are mostly... About him coming back. Do you get that? I need stuff right now. No, no, no. You can't take any of your stuff with you. I got to look good on Sunday. No, no, no. No. Got to get a fancy car. No. What's most important is this message. Jesus is. And I want to focus on this word and the conclusion of this. Because it, it feels awkward sometimes to talk about this. Because as I'm telling you this, uh, you, you kind of get, anytime we talk about the return of the Lord, you get this fairy tale look in your eyes. Like, come on. Come on, tell me about the Avengers. <laughs> you know, the supernatural stuff. You're kind of, you know, how are you about this? Well, there's so many different opinions. Come on, could we just take the word of God? 
Let's take the word of God because if you, there, there are things that will change in your life if you'll just believe this. All right? Some things that point to the urgency. And I'm going to take a shot at this and take a chance on sounding ridiculous to some of you. But I believe we have enough signs. First of all, how many believe God has a calendar? Anybody believe God has a calendar? Or do you believe God's flying by the seat of his pants? Or his toga or whatever he wears, okay? 2 Peter chapter 3. Beloved, Peter writes, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir, I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. This is a reminder that you may be mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us and the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. Here it is. Scoffers will come in the last days doing what they want to do, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So what are the characteristics? Walking according to their own lust, scoffing, and the big deal, everything is just continuing as it always has. Nothing has really changed. All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, for this they willfully forget. For this, those scoffers willfully forget. Look, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, this is all important, by which the world that had, exist, had then existed perished. By what? Water. Being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by that same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and, and perdition of ungodly men. So the world that we are in is being preserved. For fire. Do you get that? Verse 8. You love this. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Here's what you got to remember. You ready? That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. What he's saying is this is critical to understanding God's calendar. What is critical? That one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. One day is as what? And a thousand years is as what? To you, we have a day, right? For you, one day is a day. But to God, a day is like a thousand years. Do you get that? I, I remember this especially doing some services at the godly people who have passed. To us, we're never going to see them again. To them, in the presence of the Lord, see in a second. Do you understand that? They're going to be weeping and missing us. No, they're on God's calendar and His clock, not on yours. Oh, that was beautiful. Now, there's going to be mockers. There's going to be immoral people saying nothing has ever changed. And, and, and this is what he's saying. They will deliberately reject God's word. Now, this is a current prophecy. In the last days, we will have great immorality 
and it will be accompanied by people who will mock the truth of God's word. They will hear the word of God and mock the word of God. Are we, how many know we're living in that day? Peter is saying, just like it happened before, it will happen again. Before in Noah's day, the world was reserved for water, but now it is reserved for fire. And that's why, that's why Peter says this in, in verse number 8. Now, now, this is not a new teaching. What I'm telling you, the one in a thousand, you got that? For God, a thousand years is like to us, what? One day. One day is a thousand years. You, you have to understand, you have to embrace this. This is Old Testament Psalm 90 and 4. For a thousand years in your sight, like yesterday when it is past, and like the watch in the night. Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God as there is none like me, declaring the end. Look at this. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Get this. God was declaring the end when? In the beginning. So if you look at the beginning, you can see how things are going to end. You got this? God, look, if, you were, if, if you were a student of, of just the way of rabbinical theology, if you were just a student of that, you would understand this. A rabbi's understanding of this is that God did not just come up with a plan. All right? The ancient Jewish understanding and the contemporary Jewish understanding is this. God revealed the end times in Genesis chapter 1. So uh, we probably, we'll, we'll take a look at this in a minute, but I think it would have been good if Stephen Hawking would have done well to study the word of God as much as he studied the stars. Because God reveals and continues to reveal his plan. God wants us to live in light. In Amos 3 and 7, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants who? The prophets. I get. Somebody say preach, Pastor. Finish this. Let me, let me take you to the prophetic word of 1 Thessalonians. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly, know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness, therefore let us not sleep. Let us not put our lives on autopilot as others do, but let us watch and be sober. How many have heard the teaching of a thief in the night? Okay, now here's, here's the deal of the thief in the night concept. Okay? It's not for you. Okay? If Jesus came back, when Jesus comes back, are you going to be surprised? No. That's the whole thing. If you're sitting around worrying about when Jesus is coming back, got a problem. You know, and that's why you keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Because you know that Jesus is coming back. And now, is there anybody other than me that senses something that is going on in the world that only Jesus is going to complete? Somebody shout amen if you know I'm telling the truth. So the thief in the night message is for unbelievers, scoffers. They, they're not going to be ready. But we're ready. God has given us 
signs, biblical prophecies, so that we will be prepared when he returns. We don't know the exact day, right? We don't know the hour, but how many know we understand the seasons and we look at the clouds, when we look at the sky, when we look at the horizon, we say, Jesus is about to make his appearance. So, I was thinking about that the other day because I can't get my wife to sweep the floors anymore at the house. Just can't. It's crazy. She will not vacuum anymore because we now have a maid. It's a robot. It's about this tall. It's about this round. We, we gave her a name. And uh, Diana just pushes a button. We're not even home. That little robot runs all around the floor and just sucks up all the mess, all the dust. We get home. Sometimes she gets stuck on a piece of carpet or something, which is hilarious. And we reprimand her and we dock her pay. And Anybody got one of those? It was a gift given to us at Christmas by the kids. We're really, really grateful. Really, really grateful. No, my wife keeps a good house. I'm, 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 I'm being facetious about that. But hear what I'm saying. I think that's amazing. Anybody else think that's amazing? I uh, was watching a report the other day on news feed, and it, there was this um, prosthetic arm that had been created, been built. Anybody seen this? That actually is operating from the impulses of a man's brain. Anybody seen what I'm talking about? And he can pick up things and move. It's robotic, but it's hooked up. Now, years ago, I had a brother from the church that had some brain surgery. And I went to the hospital and I walked in. And they still had his brain hooked up to a computer when I got in the room. It creeped me out. And it was years ago. It was like that computer was reading all kinds of things. And I was afraid I was going to hear some things I didn't want to hear. So I prayed and got on out of there. But I didn't. But I thought it was amazing. Thought it was amazing. I really do. Anybody thankful for this sort of thing? Anybody grateful for the things that are going on in science right now? I mean, I mean, the idea that one day somebody might be able to replace your heart robotically, and you know, they they would actually have, and they've worked on this right quite a bit. This idea of actually putting a mechanical heart or something that would fulfill uh, the the need in your body. So I I was researching that, and I came upon an initiative. Uh, the 2045 Avatar Project. It's 2045's Strategic Social Initiative. Now, in, it, it started back in 2012, 2013. A man invested a great deal of money and brought people together of actually different spiritual persuasions and doctors and people of great wealth, and they had a conference together. And the conference was this. The population of the world is increasing at such a significant rate and sickness and disease continue and with what we believe is going to go on in the weather we believe that man as he is is not going to be able to exist and so they have put their resources together and I checked this out because when I looked at it, I thought somebody is fooling me this is some fake stuff so I researched it more and if you find out more than I did but I, I went to Wikipedia it was right there on Wikipedia you know here's the idea 
that from 2015, they're going to develop a robotic copy of a human body remote, that can be remotely controlled via brain-computer interface. Okay? Imagine a robot that can be controlled by your phone. Okay, that makes sense, right? What about a robot that could be controlled by your thoughts, by your brain? I think some people are thinking that's weird, but I, you know, brain-computer interface is a reality already. Their goal is by 2025 to, to build an avatar. Anybody saw that movie, Avatar? That was cool. An avatar in which a human brain is transplanted at the end of their life to build such a robotic type of creature that they can actually take your brain and transplant your brain into the robot so that now you have a robotic body and you don't have to worry about aging. And then by 2035, they, their goal is to develop an avatar which an artificial brain in which a human personality is transferred. So basically, they can take the impulses of your brain and they can connect it to... Somebody's looking frightened right now. All right? But their ultimate goal for 2045 is to develop a hologram-type avatar which you can be transferred in so that you can live immortally on the earth. Okay? Now, some people say, right, holograms and all that. How many know hologram science is already out there? Anybody know that? Now, some of you are looking at me like you were weird. You're talking weird stuff, okay? And I know that I am. And that's one of the reasons I'm very careful in saying this. Because when I was a boy, I went to a revival service. Diane and I, we were, we were dating. We went to this revival service. And this guy, I still remember his name. Still remember who he is. I could probably find him if I wanted to. But he preached about McDonald's. And it just really weirded me out. He said, you know, the golden arches, they represent something demonic. And when you go to the Ramada Hotel, it stands for an Egyptian something something. And it's all about false gods. And he started talking about the Illuminati. And all I wanted to say was... Can you just preach about the cross because you're just freaking me out? Okay? So I don't want to be that way. But even as I go here, some people are present and some people are just here. And the point being is that when we actually start beginning to think that in the years to come, listen, I could very well still be on the planet in 2045. And I pretty much kicked the 50s. Seven of them anyway. So what, what I'm telling you is, is that things are changing. And, and you might say, I know, but it's great. Have you ever been driving through a parking lot and saw somebody with their phone walking through the parking lot and they were walking right in front of your car and you wanted to pull up right behind them and honk your horn? All right, phones are great. I watched Star Trek as a kid. I thought that was ridiculous, the idea that one day you would have a phone without a cable on it. Anybody remember those days? And now, you know, we see things and we say, is this a possibility? How many love your computers? How many love them? Anybody like me? You love what you have in your hands. How many, you know, how many, do I have anybody that, you know, you just go through your computer and you're on, you're online and you're checking stuff out and you're saying, why do they let me do this for free? Because they want your information. It used to all be commercials, but your information is important now. And I'm not saying that this is all the Antichrist. I'm saying that this is important stuff. We want to help people who need a new arm. There are people, how many would like to see Alzheimer's defeated? Anybody? I mean, this is good stuff. And yes, I wanted to see disease and overpopulation managed. I want all of this. But ultimately, all this good stuff that we have is just pointing to the reality 
that this world can't handle us. Am I right? Did I tell you that Jesus is coming soon? Tell somebody. Tell them out loud right now. Jesus is coming soon. I, I, I just want to light a fire under us, okay? He's coming again. We need to decide whether we're going to respond. You know, I'm talking about people coming for Easter. You say, I don't want to invite people to come to church on Easter. And I don't want to invite my family and friends. And I don't even like inviting people. Anyway, I don't like talking about, the, about Jesus to anybody. Why? Because they're scoffers and they're mockers and they don't believe what I'm saying. All the more. Concerned that we become, in the church though, the mockers and the scoffers. Because when I tell you about the coming of Jesus, it's like, oh, it's one of those sermons again. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. Let's look closer at God's calendar, okay? How many of you have heard of God's calendar? How many have heard of a 7,000 year calendar? Anybody ever heard of a 7,000-year calendar? Okay, so it might interest you that the idea, if you, if, you, if you understand some teaching from Peter, from Isaiah, how many have heard of the prophet Daniel? Anybody heard of him? That God was declaring the end at the beginning. So even, he, he, he's always been teaching about his return. Even so much that as you look at God's calendar, you can see an interesting plan. So I'm going to throw this out at you. See if you can hang with it because so many Jewish scholars have taught that Genesis 1 corresponds to God's calendar. So how many know what happened on day one? He separated the light from the darkness. In the first 1,000 years, what was the most significant happening in creation? Well, the light has turned to darkness. That's the first day of creation. But during the next 1,000 years, the most significant happening of the first millennial was Adam sinned, and he was separated from the light of God. Right? You still with me? Second day, the waters above and below are separated. In the second millennium, the waters reunited, and judgment came upon the earth, and they were separated. How many have heard the story of Noah's Ark? So in the first millennium, we have sin, separation from the light. Second millennium, we have water. Third day, God created plants that produced seed and filled the earth with life. In the third millennium, a promise was made to Abraham that all the earth would be blessed by his seed. The fourth day, God created the lights in heaven. And in the fourth millennium, the prophets were given as lights to Israel and Jesus came as a light to the world. Somebody praise God for that. That's right. I mean, some people are arguing with me, but you know. You can work on this. You can see this in the Bible. It's amazing what you can determine by genealogy. In day five, God created living creatures. In the fifth millennium, what happened? Jesus died on the cross that we might become new creations. In the sixth, on the sixth day, God created man and was told to fill the earth and subdue it. In the sixth millennium, you know this is true. You know what's happened in the last 1,000 years? The gospel of the kingdom has been preached all around the world. You say, no, that's when, you know, Columbus discovered America and sailed the ocean. No, no, no. I want you to know that the reason that there is a cross that was planted down there was because, uh, down at uh, Cape Henry was why? Because, because the gospel was being preached. And now all of the electronics, what are we doing? We're preaching the gospel all over the world. So in the sixth millennium, that's what takes place. And that's what we have done. That's what we continue to do. Day seven, what happened in creation? And in the seventh millennium, here's the idea. Man rests. 
as Jesus rules and sets up his millennial kingdom and he rules and reigns for the next thousand years. So, some of you are getting really cold on me right now. Somebody shout seven. Somebody shout seven. Somebody shout seven. And a day is as what to the Lord? A thousand years. And a thousand years is as a day. So the, the proof of that last thousand years, you can look in Revelation chapter 20. That last thousand years, uh, the Bible, John says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Anybody know the story? It's called the millennial reign. In, in verse 4, and I saw thrones, and they that sat on him, sat on them, and judgment was committed. So what happens then? Satan is released, and, 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 but, but, but after he comes back, then we see all the souls of those. This is the great white throne judgment. The souls of those who have been beheaded and their witnesses to Jesus for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads and their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, here's the great white throne. But the rest of the dead did not live again until after the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now we know, here's what we know. That we are living in a particular period of time. That precedes the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. How many would agree that seasons have changed? And that the flavor of the return of the Lord Jesus. Now everybody has different opinions here. But uh, I studied something years ago. And it's one of the most beautiful aspects of scripture. And, and I see it and I'll show it to you in a moment. And that is simply this. That God has not set us aside for wrath. Somebody thank God for that. And so scripture teaches us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, and I don't have that on the slides, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes this, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him, with the Lord forever. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9 says this. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. I'll give you one more sign. All right? It's one of my favorite signs. It's in John chapter 2. All right? In John chapter 2, it's the story of the water turning into wine. Anybody remember this story? All right, so... Jesus, when he was 13 years old, he was at the tabernacle. Anybody remember that? Starts to teach, and then mom says, what are you doing? He says, I shouldn't I be about my father's business? She says, not yet. She loads him up and takes him home for 17 years. But then at the beginning of his ministry, they're at a wedding, and Jesus performs a sign at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. She says, okay, somebody thank God for good mamas. Anybody thankful for good mamas? 
Okay, it's time for you to step up in your ministry, son. He says, but my time is not yet. It's time. They had run out of wine at a wedding feast. Now, just so you know, a Jewish wedding lasts seven days. Just thought I'd tell you that. Jewish wedding lasts how many days? Okay. Now, Jesus, here's, here's the way that sign takes place. Now, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. Six days as what? A thousand years. They filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feasts. You should underline that phrase. And Jesus said, what? Draw some of it out now. Out of that six, out of that six I want you to draw some out and take it where? <laughs> when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to the bridegroom, every man at the beginning sets out good wine. It was good at the beginning. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, but you have kept the good wine until now, the seventh. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Six water pots. Anybody thankful? That, what, that the best is drawn out for the last? Drawn out of what? Out of the six. The dead, those that are still alive, are drawn out. Anybody get this? I want you to see, Jesus is coming back. And I know some of you are here, and some of you are not present, but you're here. And some of you are present. Listen to me. Jesus is going to draw out. Anybody had somebody that died that knew the Lord Jesus? Anybody know somebody? He's going to draw out those who went before. Somebody praise God with me. But he's also going to take us, the dead first, then we which are alive and remain. And, and the Bible says this. Jesus actually said this at the Passover. He said, I'm going to have this Passover feast with you, but this is the last time I'm going to drink until I get to the wedding feast. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation. You can hang out wherever you want. But this boy is going to the wedding feast. Because he didn't reserve wrath for me. My intention, my understanding of the prophetic calendar of God is this. That Jesus is coming back soon. But before fire is poured out, before wrath is poured out, he's catching us away to go and be with the Lord forever. I'm finishing up now. I dreamt this past week. I had a dream. I was laying in bed and dreaming. I had to wake up in the middle of the night and write it down. But I, I, I had a concern about the dream because I thought it might just be I was remembering something that I'd actually done. Because in it, I was coming down the road and I cut somebody off in traffic. <laughs> okay, I might have done that once or twice, all right? <laughs> Give me one. Okay. But as I cut them off, I noticed they looked very angry, and I thought, oh, no, these people are coming after me. 
I didn't feel fearful, but then they cut across all the traffic and they pulled over to the side and somehow I was transferred into their car and was observing them. And I looked at them and it was a family. And it was oh so broken. The mothers and the fathers weren't getting together. The children, they were all angry and they were angry for reasons they didn't know that they were angry, but their greatest anger was because they didn't know where they were going. They didn't know where they were going. And I was only there in spirit. I wasn't there you know, physically. I wasn't physically there. I was just there in spirit. And I didn't have a voice to speak to them at that particular moment. And all I knew is how sad it was that I was so busy going down the road and just getting to where I was going that I didn't take notice of all the people that did not know where they were going. The Holy Spirit drew me. He drew me. Listen. Your families don't have to be broken when you know where you're going. And a lot of the anger and a lot of the scoffing and a lot of the mocking is this. I just know that I'm going to die one day and I don't know what happens after that. A lot of it is I just don't have have enough stuff and I can't get along with my family. And all of that anger comes out of all of the indecision, all of the fear that's in your life. How many have experienced fear and anger in your family? You know what I'm talking about? But when you know that you know where you're going, then you will live with your destination in sight. And it will cause you to walk in forgiveness and cause you to walk in agape and cause you to overcome some of the lies and the difficulties of the world that you're currently living in. Our world doesn't know. And we have a responsibility, come on, to stop. And I saw this as well. A car driving on autopilot. Have you seen those? There's actually cars now that don't need a driver anymore. Come on, I am not ready for that. Anybody else? I want to know where I'm going. I want to control where I'm going. You get this? I want this. And I'm telling you that God is saying in your home, in your car, we got to overcome all the mess. we got to stop pretending like it's not going on. And if you need a better reason than this, I don't know what to say. Jesus is coming back. The gospel has been preached. I don't know that there's anything else. Forgive who you have to forgive. Overcome what you need to overcome. Stop pretending like your job is the most important thing in the world. Stop playing. Surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus. All this teaching, you say, well, what am I going to do about my family? What are we going to do about my marriage? Look, I've done enough teaching in the last two weeks. Go back and really, go, go back, go back over uh, uh, the art of love. Go back over that. Go back to, to the beginning, the year of the family series. Go back through this week. You don't know how to communicate. There's, there's a lot there. If you need counseling, get a counselor. Get one. If you need some spiritual coaches, look around this room. There are people that are just waiting. We're here. Got some plans for after Easter to kick off some good things for family. So these things are going to be available. But we're going to get through this. Why? Because when Jesus comes, I want to be watching, not surprised. Amen? Praise God. Stand with me. Stand with me. Anybody receive this word today? Somebody shout this with me again. We must reach this 
Shout it. We must preach this church. Okay. Listen. I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Specifically, if there's brokenness in your home, we have compassion for you. We want to pray for you regarding your family, regarding your relationships. We want to pray for you regarding that. We want to also pray that you would experience God in reality. How many would agree that too many of us have played religion for way too long? Right? Not even focused on the return of the Lord Jesus. But we know that He's coming. Come on, we know that He's coming. We know that His coming is soon. Right? I want to pray for those. I want to pray for people that are sick because Jesus is a healer. I want to pray for individuals that are confused because the devil is the author of confusion. I want to pray for those that are in need today. Are you ready? Uh, my altar workers are coming. And those of you that need prayer, I want you to come. We're going to anoint you. We're going to pray a prayer of faith for you that God would set you free. Okay? Now listen. Close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Some of you, you can open your eyes and keep walking to the front. For those of you that are in need, for those of you who want prayer, we want to pray for you. Start walking towards the front. Walk as soon as you can. Just walk right on up. She wants prayer here. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on. There you go. Get your feet on up. Right around down there. I'll get further down there. Okay, close your eyes. Some people are still coming. Close your eyes. Everybody just close your eyes. I'm going to ask. You ready? All right. If this is true, I want you to just lift your hand so I can see it. This is not a ploy to get you to come up front. I just want you to lift your hand. If this is true, my family really needs a miracle right now. Okay. I'm stirring this up in you. You can put your hand back down. I'm stirring this up in you right now. Because you believe that Jesus is coming soon... Don't you believe by the Spirit that this is the season that you must address those things that have been left unaddressed? Do you believe that? So I'm praying wisdom in your life. Spirit of God, because some of you would say, I don't know what to say. Holy Spirit, come in power and in wisdom. Just receive that with your hands open like you're catching a... Something that's fallen from the sky. Lord, I'm catching this right now. I speak wisdom into your home. The words that I have preached, the words that others have given you, I say that those are seeds in your life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I water those seeds. And they take root now in the name of Jesus. And I want you to say these two words. Say good fruit. And good fruit is going to come out. You're going to experience love and joy and peace. You're going to experience patience. You're going to experience things in your family that you thought you would never see. Joy in your marriage. Peace in your home. And I come against every angry tongue in the name of Jesus. I come against the spirit of that anger that's in your home. And in Jesus' name, I say... Speak with peace. Speak with patience. 
speak reconciliation and healing. You will not walk in this type of death again. I say also in the name of Jesus that as good fruit rises up because you are children of God, that you're going to be able to speak to your children and find peace with them. Mm. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I speak to some of your children have been acting out heavily. And you've just been hoping that they will stop. And God says, I've called you into their life to hold them, to speak truth, to hold them accountable, but to lead them away from ways that you walked in. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That word is for somebody. Just wave your hand and say, that word is for me. It's for me with my children right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Heal families. Heal homes. Heal relationships. Get us ready. Get us ready for the return of Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. Wow, that was heavy. Listen, I want you to do this because you're standing, you're praying together. I want you to just make some communities of prayer. And this is what I want you to do, okay? When you make it, go ahead and make a community. This is what I want you to do. As you make those communities, just to pray for a moment before you leave. And then run and get your kids after this. Listen, find three or four people. If you're uncomfortable with three or four people and you can only do...